This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 124. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and I am here with the co-host substitute slash special <laughs> guest, D.K. Waddell. Unfortunately, Chris Graham couldn't make it today. I'm sure a lot of you are aware that there's something out there called the coronavirus. And because of that, the entire state of Ohio is locked down right now. And Chris has a family to take care of. So I'm by myself this week and I'm joined with my friend D.K. here. What up? <laughs> there you go. It's like super hype, man. Uh, DK, for those who are not familiar with who he is, do you just go by DK? Yeah, I just go by DK. Cool. I really didn't even realize your last name was Waddell until I saw the calendar invite and it had your last name on it. <laughs> I've just always known you as DK. So for those who don't know, DK is the host of a podcast called Mixing Music, and he is the co-founder of LaunchPod Media. That's right. We're going to get into all that business side of things. Before we get into that, it's probably worth just chatting about what's going on in the world right now because I haven't really gotten a chance to talk about this. We talked about it a little bit on the intro of the last episode, and it is incredible how much has changed in just a week period. The amount of cases that have blown up, how that affects our recording studios, the amount of countries that are on lockdown right now, all of the rumors that the U.S. as of Wednesday March 18th, I got to like put the days now because in matter of days, things change so quickly. As a matter of March 18th, it is rumored that we will soon as Americans be under lockdown with some sort of quarantine coming. And that is really going to affect a lot of studios. It's already ruined a lot of tours. A lot of musicians are out of work right now. A lot of touring musicians or anyone related to the live music industry. So sound guys, anyone. And so this is affecting a lot of people in an industry. And D, I know you are you're involved in the music industry. What have you done at least so far? Let's actually take about away from the business standpoint. What have you done personally to kind of prepare for some of these things? Are you like the kind of person that's like, eh, it'll blow over or it's not that big a deal. Or it's like, I'm the prepper who's like got 16 pallets of toilet paper getting shipped <laughs> across the world on a boat from Cambodia. Cause that's the only country still available right now with toilet paper. What are you doing right now? Dude, to be honest, I am not deliberate in almost anything that I do and I don't plan. <laughs> I'm just that guy. I like to be honest, like my business has not changed. Things are going yeah. normal. Luckily, most of my clients are online or they send me stuff anyway, just like yeah. you kind of with your mixing stuff. So it's, it hasn't really changed too much. That's fortunate. Very fortunate. Yeah. For some of us, we are in the boat where like, it's not a huge impact to our business, at least not directly. Long-term, we'll have to see where that goes because if businesses are affected, then obviously LaunchPod Media will be affected. If the whole music industry is affected, then us as recording engineers, even if we're remote, will be affected. And on the podcast, I'm sure week to week, if there's any emergency episodes we need to do, I've heard some podcasts doing like emergency episodes. As fast as this stuff's moving, we'll try to keep people up to date because I think a lot of people are worried right now. And I'm hoping what we can cover today is something that's going to be a solution for some studios to move towards, at least temporarily, if not pivoting your business totally. I think there's hope for some of us if we can just figure out a way to pivot our businesses. So real quick, D, you've been listening to this podcast for a while, right? Oh yeah. Big time fan. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And you heard an episode of ours a while back where we talked about, was it that five studio niches ripe for a taking episode where we talked about? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So take us from there. You heard that episode and, and what did you hear from that episode that you liked? So there was a niche that you talked about in one of those episodes 
uh, in the past, they're like, okay, how about these ideas? Like these are some niches that you might be able to do. One of the things that you and Chris thought of were like a podcast studio or like a podcast business mm-hmm. because a lot of people need recording. A lot of businesses need some information about it, but nobody really does specifically that. And it was really, really awesome because it started getting my mind going. And then at that same time, right as I listened to that episode, one of my friends that I'd known for a while back, this guy, I didn't know it at the time, but he had grown his podcast like crazy. He's got like 2 million subscribers to his Japanese learning podcast, like super brainiac. random and amazing. Yeah, like really cool. Like really awesome dude. I had no idea this was going on. He doesn't like, he's not loud about it at all. And then he comes in, he's like, DK, I'm ready to start a business. We need some audio help. I mean, you do content. Like, we need you as, like, creative director and making sure all this stuff is going through. Eventually, we're going to hire people and we're going to help businesses make podcasts. And I was like, uh, uh, well, I mean, I, I listen to podcasts. I listen to, you know, Six Figure Home Studio. Shout out, you know. <laughs> and I was like, all right, dude, I think this is it. I think that something is telling me this is it. So I went all in. We went all in. And Launchpod Media is now making good money. We got seven, eight. Uh, actually, let me count that out. I think we got nine employees right now, including the three owners, and we're making good headway. Can you tell us about some of the customers that you're servicing, some of the podcasts you're servicing as an agency right now? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the podcasts, I guess the one, the most notorious one that we have right now is the United Nations. (laughs) I have heard of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's kind of weird in the sense that like, I don't know if it's them specifically, but it's one of their shows that they're in charge of. So they pay a dude to do it and he pays us to do it. It's called Global Dispatches and it's kind of like world news and it's obviously a lot about like the coronavirus going out now as well as like international news, like a lot of like, okay, what's going on with Africa? What's going on with these countries over here? And like a lot of news like that. It's really cool. Another company that we do a lot of work for is Blip Billboards. I know that they have all like the digital billboards where you can buy for like seven seconds of ad space at a time. Customer with a K, which is like a CRM type software based out of New York City. I'm very familiar with that company just because it's in the SaaS world, software as a service world. So like, yeah, because their customer is a small business, I am their type of customer. So a lot of their content as far as education and content marketing is relevant to me as a business owner. So I'm definitely familiar with that company. Yeah. And then uh, another company called Harmon Brothers, which is local to Utah. They're the ones that make dry bar comedy and they tried to do the whole, uh, I forgot what it's called, like the angel, vid angel, where it's like clean videos. But their big thing is that they have an advertising film agency. So they've actually done like Super Bowl commercials and they did all like the purple mattress commercials and like the poopery commercials. Squatty potty. Squatty potty. Yeah, the pooping unicorn, (laughs) the squatty potty. They've had some amazing commercials and funny story about them. They have a URL very similar to a URL that I own. I own a URL called from shit to gold. Ah. And they have from poop to gold.com. That's right. Cause it's Utah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's Utah and you got to have a clean mouth out there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But yeah, they're really cool. And then I guess the last one that isn't as big as a company, but is probably low key, the biggest and low key, the company that we've helped the most, which is a company called buy boxer. They own like, I think one of the top three or five warehouses for Amazon, like one of the top 10 Amazon sellers and one of the top three warehouses in based out of Logan, Utah. So that's really cool. Is that a podcast for Amazon, like FBA businesses, like business owners, people who sell stuff on Amazon? Is that what that podcast is for? Yeah. So their podcast is called The Smartest Amazon Seller. It's basically the XYZs of selling on Amazon. Okay. So you heard this podcast episode, by the way, it's episode 33, five studio niches right for the taking. We put that out June 26, 2018. So it was a while back that you heard this episode. 
you had someone come to you that was interested in doing a podcast business together and you were just like, hell yeah, I just heard this. It's top of mind. It makes total sense. I'm going to jump on this. And how long did it take you guys to kind of get this up and running from that moment on? Oh, well, it was relatively fast, but I mean, like being in the trenches all day, it feels so slow, you know, (laughs) (laughs) from like the overall view, like we've only been around for, I think we just barely hit our year mark and like our revenue is doing really, really well. But for like the first three to four months, it was just like kind of like committing to it, but not really committing to it. And luckily we were able to start paying ourselves pretty quick. So that means everybody got committed pretty quick. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's been a little bit of a journey. It's had its ups and downs and it keeps pivoting and it's kind of never been one thing and it keeps growing into another thing. And it's it's been quite awesome, to be honest. Yeah. Can you talk about how you guys at least got off the ground as far as the first few customers that you found? Was it prior relationships? Were you doing any sort of marketing efforts? Was there anything that you can put your finger on that helps you get those first few clients? Because, and just for those who are listening right now, don't expect to just go out and do whatever they did like immediately. But I do think anyone listening today can take what D has done here with his business partners and apply it to a niche or an area that they have some experience in, or they have some relationships in, or they have some know-how in and do really, really well, especially in these really uncertain times where Bands may not be able to afford coming into the studio. Bands aren't recording right now. Labels aren't funding records. Like, I don't know how bad this is going to get or how long this is going to last, but I still think this is extremely relevant to us who want to survive during this potentially long winter that we're about to go through. So D, again, what was the experience when it came to getting those first handful of clients? Yeah, so I want to talk about that, but I think also relevant information before that is kind of what we do. I mean, I'm coming from a mixing background. I've owned a commercial studio for about four years now. I did tracking for three and a half years. Now I'm like just mixing. I kind of got t- <laughs> got tired of it. Uh, you know how it goes. Same thing here, man. <laughs> but because we relate on this, right? But yeah. the cool thing about this is during this time of crisis, this is the most perfect industry to go into. Like entertainment, right now, everybody's staying home. Yep. That means entertainment is being consumed so much more. And usually, usually not, again, we never know during times of like economic, like turmoil, not turmoil, but like during the downs, usually things like education go up because people start looking for a second job or MLMs, like a lot of like doTERRA, you know, kind of goes up because people are looking for a second job, right? Yep. One of the great things about podcasts is that it's specifically education and entertainment. So it's like really, according to all the history and the research that we've done in the past, during times like this, it's kind of growing. And so we've taken advantage of it in a different way. And just to be clear, we don't record the podcast here. So even though I come from a recording background, we actually don't offer recording services. Part of our services, it's a little bit more high end for these businesses where we send them recording equipment. We send them about $1,200 worth of recording equipment. They pay us monthly for 12 month contracts. So we contract them in. So we guaranteed payment with a out clause for the first 60 days if we F up, you know, or if if they don't find any benefit in it. And then they pay us monthly. The idea is you're paying for a team of nine people that are extreme specialists in making podcasts that are monetizable that can help you run your business better and make your money for your business for the price of one employee. So if you're going to hire an intern anyway, you might as well hire us. So it's a little bit higher price point. But at the same time, we found our first clients because not of a relationship that already existed per se, but of someone local, I think someone referred to us. And like with any sort of startup, it was you got to kill it or it's going to kill you. We had to go above and beyond. Like we stayed up so late, so long just to make sure we killed it for him. Actually, the first person that we did it for was Buyboxer that I mentioned earlier. Scott Needham, shout out to him. There's so much to unpack there. I love this. Sorry, yeah. (laughs) No, this is great. This is great. So 
again, I guess really it doesn't matter where you get those first handfuls of clients. What matters is what you do with those clients. And so this first client, let's go back to this again. You have a pretty interesting offer. And I don't know if you had this specific kind of offer. And when I say offer, by the way, I mean like, what's your elevator pitch? What is it you're selling? Like, what's the hook that you're going to get people to come in and pay you a decent amount of money to do whatever it is that you do? What's, what's the offer? And I don't know if you had the offer at the very beginning or if you kind of found it as you were stumbling along figuring this out, but your offer was, and you said it really well in a pretty succinct way, we're a team of specialists that help businesses launch their podcast and maintain their podcast in a profitable way or with profit in mind, something like that. Yeah. And actually even shorter, because there's so much to unpack and there's so much that we actually do in the back end, we usually just say we help businesses find potential customers through podcasts. That's it. And that's a great way to do it. So there's a really clear benefit to the service you offer. If you pay us money as LaunchPod Media, if you pay us money, we will get you more leads and ultimately more clients or customers for your business. And the question now is in my head, A, can you fulfill what I need you to fulfill from a technical standpoint, which if you look at any other website, at the LaunchPod Media's website and their past work, that's an easy yes. If you are brand new at this, there are things you can do to build a website and put some sort of portfolio and social proof out before you've actually done any real work. You can still do it in a legitimate way that builds trust. Then the second question is, is this podcast or the service that I'm paying for going to get me more money than I'm paying for it? And I think with you guys, it's very clear, especially with the clientele you're working with, it's a profitable venture for them. I'm just doing napkin math in the back of my head and so I'm probably way off here and I'm not going to ask you specific revenue numbers here, but it sounds like a customer's worth at least a couple grand, maybe a few grand or more per month. And that sounds like a ton. Like how many people listening right now are getting thousands of dollars from one customer every single month? Not many people listen to this podcast, maybe one or two. And that's probably any other podcast agency owners that are listening to us right now or some other sort of recurring service. But then also how many of those people that are making $1,000 from one customer also have like eight people, nine people to pay? <laughs> and that's the reality of it. Yeah. Let's talk about this real quick. We're going to get into the hiring aspect in a second because I do want to touch on that. But whether or not it's relevant to our audience, I just curious myself. I'm sure you can still do a lot of what we're going to talk about today as a single business owner without hiring out any employees. But let's go back to this first person. You kind of talked through your process involved with what you did with clients. Talk through specifically this first client you got. And how much work went into making sure you crush it with this first client? Because I can relate to this. The first customer I ever hired at my studio, I got paid, I think it was $350 for like a six song EP. Mm. And it came out to like $2.50 an hour, something oh, really ridiculous. Man, yeah. But it didn't really matter because that customer came back to me again and again and again and referred to me tons and tons of clients. So real quick, talk about the process of what you did for that first customer and what the results of that, all that work were. So with this first customer, it was still just the three owners. It was just the three of us. And I'm pretty sure it was a recommendation. Someone knew him. One of our friends knew him. And they said, hey, I heard this guy might be interested in a podcast. We know that he's got a business and he likes to throw out content. And, you know, is always looking for fun ways to monetize. He likes to talk a lot. That's kind of all we knew. We didn't know he was willing to spend any money on it. We've never really had a paying client. We had like test clients to see if our theories work to do a lot of like testing. But this guy, we went up with him. We met him at his house. We went to lunch with him. It was a bunch of other stuff. I was still running my studio full time. Plus, you know how it goes. Everybody knows how it goes. What happened was one day, Johnny, our CEO, 
he quit. Like, well, I don't know if he was threatened to be fired. Something stupid happened at his server job. Like he was working at a sushi restaurant as a server. This guy, Johnny, I can't speak more highly of him. Crazy. He's the asshole of the company in a good way. You know, everybody, every company needs that. Like he is the go-getter. That's me. This guy like threw down his apron, quit that day and went up to Scott and be like, yo, you need to sign on today. Pretty like aggressively. And then Scott, like our first client, he's like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I mean, I'm committing right now. So we made him commit. We got him a really good discount. I mean, as our first paying client. And then all we did all day, the three of us, all we did is just killed it for this guy. Like did above and beyond and like didn't even worry about the time it spent. Didn't worry about how many hours it spent because the only thing that mattered wasn't how much we're making from it. It was if we kill it for this guy and prove it that our theory works and we can make him money then it's going to bring his customers, which actually through his case studies, through his example and through his recommendations and referrals, we've made much more money since then. Yeah, that's relevant for anybody, anybody on their first handfuls of clients or honestly, one thing I've heard is you're only as good as the last thing you put out. And so this is still relevant. Even if you're an experienced person of 30 years, if you're putting out trash now, you're not going to get very far. But for the first clients, do not worry about how much you're getting paid. Just worry about crushing it. Okay. So podcast specifically, what were you doing with this client? Were you writing show notes? Were you doing the intro and outro music? Were you doing the voiceover work for the intro? Like what, like let's talk specifics. If you can even remember, I don't know how long ago this was of the actual deliverables you were giving this person in exchange for money. It sounds like a drug deal, but it's not. (laughs) And it's kind of changed and refined over time. Now that I think about it, the offerings that we have in general haven't changed. They've just become a lot more specific. So the one thing that we don't do is the recording. So I call them and have like a little audio consultation, teach them how to do it. Or because he's local, I went to his house and taught him how to use the microphone. We get each of our clients a Rodecaster Pro. So it's like, okay, this is really nice because you don't even need software. You just hit the button once with the micro SD card and it's good. We take care of all the equipment. We do a lot of preliminary research. We figure out, we do a lot of like demographic research of who their target audience is based on who's going to be potentially buying from him, right? So his audience, because, well, let me say his main source of income is going to be selling software to help Amazon sellers, right? Because he's a software developer himself. So we made a podcast and he can talk extensively about selling on Amazon. So we're like, okay, let's do the research. What are your competitors? Competitor, full down, a competitor analysis down. And then we run like ad testing. So we pay money for these ads that go to dead links, you know, and we see which one is clicked on more. So these are called smoke tests. And if you ever read the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss talked about these in his book where you're essentially just running split tests to fake landing pages or to pages to products that don't exist. You're not taking money, but what you're doing is just gauging interest in what people are clicking on and using that to make informed decisions. So the four hour work week is named the four hour work week because of one of these smoke tests. That book title outperformed all the other tests that they did. Yeah, which is awesome. So we did a bunch of these tests and figured out down to statistically speaking, compared to your analytics, compared to the potential customers and listeners that you want in the future, how long should your episodes be? How often should they be? How should you curate your information? We actually don't write the shows for them. We don't create the content for them. They have to come up with their content, but uh, we curate like, okay, let's talk about the XYZs and not the ABCs because if you did an ABCs, it's not going to do as well. Also, let's make your colors of the actual like picture this color and it should be this long. From our research, we found out, okay, up to 22 minutes, this weird number, up to 22 minutes. I don't know why it's specifically 22, no clue. Up to 22 minutes, at least once a week, do this as your color and do this, this, and this. And then we started the launch. And then what we especially specialize in, 
especially special. I love it. Just keep that. That's like, that's like the signature DK right there. Yeah. <laughs> we have an 83% feature rate on Apple Podcasts, which is insane. I think usually for each podcast episode, it's less than 1% of podcasts ever get featured by Apple. 83% of our shows get featured because of this one secret tip right here. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, this is what you got to do, especially at the launch point. You heard it here first, guys. Apple Podcasts has to have an algorithm to make sure that you don't have fake reviews, right? They want authentic reviews to make sure their charts are authentic. But they have to figure out which shows have hype, which shows are actually like going to be good in the new section. So they have a three-day leniency period. For the first 72 hours, if you get a shit ton of reviews, it will most likely boost your show to the new and noteworthy, now just the new section, right, of Apple Podcasts, which the reason why you want to get featured is because that is the section where people looking for new podcasts will go to first and see first. So with my personal podcast, which is not a part of our systems, it's just my own personal experiment to see if I can do it by myself. I was able to stay on like the number one, you know, music thing. But the trick was here is that I didn't try to rank for music general. The more specific subcategory that you have, the easier it is to get in. So I went in under music conversations. Mm. So I'm, I'm actually like, at one point, I was in like the top 10 of the new music conversation podcast for like weeks. Nice. Now it's kind of like, you know, averaged out, especially in the charts that's not new out of everybody, right? And I've always had the music as like a secondary category, like the general thing is music, but that one hasn't been performing as well in the charts compared to music conversations. It seems like you're doing a lot of consulting when it comes to this. And I feel like that's a lot of the value you bring as an agency is not just, hey, we edit podcasts. By the way, if I Google podcast editing right now, I will find dozens and dozens of competitors out there. I will find people paying for ads all day long. And I see people charging 200 bucks a month for a podcast for editing services. That is called a red ocean. What DK does in his company, Launchpod Media does, is they do so much more than that. And every single thing that they add on as far as helping the customer creates a blue ocean. It creates pricing confusion. So they're not directly compared to all these just straight up editors out there. So that's something to note. And I know we talked about it recently on a podcast where we talked about blue ocean versus red ocean. Unfortunately, I don't have Chris to kill time here, so I can't look it up in my uh, list here, but it, you'll find it if you, if you uh, look back far enough. DK, do you have any tips as far as people getting a lot of reviews early on? on the podcast when you launch it? Because that's you said that's a, the huge thing. 72 hours, get as many reviews as possible. How does one do that? Yeah, especially during the launch phase. It's really, really important. So the way that we do it is we call it a launch list. So each of our customers, as we're like activating them, as we're onboarding them, we go through and we have them make a launch list of 100 to 200 people minimum that they can reach out in an email, through social media, whatever it is, and send them a link where they can send them a, like send a review. It got to the point where even I did. It was like, dude, I'll Venmo you $2 if you leave a review. Of course, nobody asked for the $2 because it's only $2. But <laughs> at the same time, they noticed how serious I was. So I just messaged a bunch of people, all of our clients. I've personally actually helped a lot of our clients make these emails for their lists or do like a little social media campaign as the creative director or whatever it was to help them convert their already existing audience into the podcast listeners leaving reviews. See, like that's brilliant. Like I didn't think about a launch list. When we launched the Six Figure Home Studio podcast, we had a pretty good strategy, which by the way, you're welcome to take if you, if you want to take it. We've talked about it before on the podcast. I'll mention it here in a second. We had a specific strategy we followed, but that was not one of the things that we did. We could have easily had a launch list. As many friends 
Chris and I have that would have been more than willing to leave a review, we could have individually reached out. And here's one huge reason why people don't leave reviews on podcasts. It's the bystander effect. If anyone's ever heard of this, if you're ever assaulted and you're surrounded by a lot of people, like someone's attacking you or mugging you or whatever, do not just generally cry for help from people. Specifically look at someone and ask them for help. That greatly increases your chances of being actually helped by somebody. Otherwise, the bystander effect takes hold. And that is where everyone will just assume someone else is calling 911. Everyone is always just assuming someone else is going to leave the review. Everyone else is always assuming someone is going to help you. And in your situation, you bypass that by not just generally asking your podcast listeners on a episode to leave a review and leave a five-star rating like you've heard a million times on a million podcasts. You're going straight to an individual and specifically asking them to take an action, thus bypassing the bystander effect. Yeah, absolutely. So the thing we did on our podcast is we ignored that because we didn't even know about that. So that would have been amazing for us to know that at the very beginning. But what we did is we launched with three episodes, which by the way, how many episodes do you typically launch your podcasts with? So I don't even think you're allowed to post it onto Apple unless you have three. And then you're not even allowed to post it on Spotify unless you have five. So we bulk release at least three to five. Cool. So we had three, we did five, but we kept two in the chamber just so we had a little buffer for the next weeks or so. So what we did was we put three out. We said, hey, this is an experiment. <laughs> Anyone listening to the podcast, especially if you've been through recently, you heard these first few episodes. I <laughs> said, hey, we're just doing this as an experiment. If anyone likes this and we get enough reviews, we'll keep going. And that was our call to action on every single episode for the first three episodes. And that got us, I want to say like 75 reviews in the first week. And for a new podcast in the music industry or music category, I'm trying to say on iTunes, that was a lot of reviews for a brand new podcast. Oh, yeah. But I know we could have done better if we did the one-on-one -on -one strategy there. So. so the trick was 72 hours. So if you had like 50 of the reviews come in after the 72 hours, Apple wouldn't have counted it. Interesting. Yeah. So that's a huge... And I wonder how often they're changing this algorithm. But for right now, that's up-to-date information that people can use to their advantage. So, okay. So that's one big benefit you guys bring. If you look at Launchpod Media, what's your website again? Launchpod.what? Launchpod.media. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's, it. that's great. So if you look up launchpod.media, you'll see that one of their big selling points is that they help you get ranked as a podcast. They have a high success rate of getting ranked on a podcast or getting featured on a podcast. And that's huge for reasons that DK explained. When people come to a podcast, one of the first things they're greeted to on at least Apple podcast is the new and noteworthy or just the new. If you are a brand new podcast and you are just launching, one of your biggest worries is if this is going to be worth my time and effort, especially as a business owner especially someone who is really calculating the return on the investment of what they're doing as a podcaster. So I feel like this is something that you guys probably do better than most people. So this is a huge selling point. If I'm looking up Launchpad Media versus some other random agency or podcast editor, I want the one that's going to have the best chance for success. So that's another way that you've done to differentiate yourself. Can you talk through more about your onboarding sequence or onboarding experience that you're doing with these customers now? Because I feel like by now, can you talk about how many podcasts you're currently working with right now? I don't have the exact number on hand, but we're really close to currently having about four, eight, 16, 16, 15 podcasts that are ongoing right now. That's great. And about four, five, six that have been either one-time audits or they jumped out during the first two months, which we always allow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about this real quick. You have by now 15, 16 podcasts you have a pretty good process in place for when you get someone and you're onboarding them as a customer. Just for anyone who's not familiar with that kind of businessy term onboarding, that's just saying, hey, you're a new customer. Let's walk you through our process so we can have maximum results 
Are you using any tools right now to aid in that onboarding process that you can talk about? Yeah. So we're doing a lot of bootstrapping, like a lot of homegrown, you know, holistic kind of patchwork there. But one of the main things that we're using is we're using Google Drive, Google and Google Sheets. Um, I've actually made a pretty complicated Google Sheets for a content calendar. So like without ever having to send emails back and forth, they can approve of an episode title and an episode and we can let them know that we've edited it. They can let us know that they've recorded it. We can see how far along they've got like, and to pass files back and forth. So it doesn't actually, at the current moment, we eventually want to have a little bit more of a nice internal system that we hire out to devs for. But right now it's just, to be honest, it's just Google, Google Suite. It's just a spreadsheet, basically. It's a spreadsheet um, and a lot of emails back and forth. It is really... Our specific business right now, it's a lot, it's very hand in hand, detailed. Like we work very well with other project managers from a company, from their company. It's kind of complicated. What we do is very simple, but the details is kind of where it gets complicated. But the point of the matter is one thing that I want to shout out to anybody that's listening to right now if you have ever thought about making a music podcast, I know. Brian and Chris have talked about this before. Let me reiterate this again. If you want to make a music podcast, there is no better time than now. And every day that you don't make it and you hold it off, you're losing potential listeners. Your lifetime earnings is going down every day you don't make a podcast. I'm telling you right now, podcasts itself aren't monetizable, but it is the best way to help convert potential clients into paying customers because the amount of trust so if you go back to episode 102, wasn't that long ago, so October 22nd, so we put this out. Episode 102, why you should start a podcast for your business before it is too late. We've been preaching this for a while now, and this isn't an episode necessarily for that, but D makes a really good point. The longer you wait, the less potential you're going to have with this. And think about this, coronavirus or COVID-19. Well, first of all, if you're going to launch a podcast, launch it for your audience to be your potential customers, not your, your friends and peers. That's a huge thing. If you're trying to launch a business focus that's going to help your business's income, launch a podcast that entertains your customers. So in the example of your client who has the software for Amazon sellers, his customer is Amazon sellers. So his podcast is for Amazon sellers. All of the content is related to Amazon sellers. It entertains those people so that they listen and then they ultimately buy or pay for his software. If you're going to launch a podcast, make sure it is for your type of customer. So if your customers are musicians, then make sure your content is related to musicians, something that's going to entertain them and educate them and hopefully motivate them. They're going to need some motivation in the coming months. So right now, if your customers are musicians, they are in a bind. They cannot tour. They cannot play live music. They are really scrambling for things to do. It is an opportune time if you were launching a podcast to get guests on your podcast. They're not touring. They just don't have a whole lot to do right now. They probably have free time to come on your podcast if your guests are musicians right now. So just a little side note. Yeah, and you know what would be a really great idea for a podcast right now, especially with what's happening? If you release this right now, this would do, I think it would do really well without doing any basic research here, just off the top of my head. If this is good enough, I may launch this before this episode even airs. So let's see. So if you have the skills, the know-how to do live streaming, so for example, if you did a podcast for musicians on how to monetize your shows through live streaming, that's specifically about that, whether there's a segment of like a whole 10 episodes about it or whether that's all that your podcast is about. I mean, obviously you can't just like, so for example, if you're a producer where most of your clients are for songwriters, but you don't have enough information to do like a songwriting podcast, like you, you can only do what you know. But at the same time, if you know how to do live streaming, people are out there right now, like one of the most popular 
subcategories of podcasts is how to run social media better. People are just looking. It's not just YouTube anymore. The thing is, if you do YouTube, it's got to be just YouTube. With podcasts, you can be like washing your dishes while learning. So like something specific like that might do well. I mean, obviously you're going to have to flip it up or it's going to be a hard one, but at least it'd be evergreen content, right? That's true. I mean, right now musicians are scrambling for things to do. They need a second source of income or they need something to entertain themselves and kill the time. But if they're trying to make some money, they're, they're looking for solutions. And so if you can have an episode or actually this is just kind of a standalone topic. If anything, this is a good lead magnet as a pod class. And that's a phrase that Chris and I have tossed around as a, and something I'm working on right now is a new pod class. And that is just a standalone piece of information that you could probably host on your FilePass account pretty easily. Send them a FilePass link to their pod class and they can leave comments and ask questions if they need clarification with our timestamp comments. Shout out to FilePass.com. Yeah, shout out to FilePass.com. <laughs> if you have a pod class hosted on FilePass and uh, put it behind a registration wall and make it all about how to live stream or how to monetize something. One other thing though, I want to mention is, and this is, we're kind of going off topic from what I, uh, what I envision on this episode going, and we'll get back on topic in a second. If you're going to create a podcast and your listeners are musicians, you don't have to necessarily be the expert. You mentioned one thing about if you don't, if you only know a few things about songwriting, then you can't have a ton of episodes on that. Well, really you're the one interviewing people. You can just ask questions and learn as an interviewer. One of the things I'm picking your brain on is like, if I wanted to launch a business right now like this, how would I go about it? So that's kind of how I'm approaching this conversation with you is the things I would want to know if I were going to launch a podcast agency. And so if you are a producer, you can talk to pro songwriters and pick their brains on how they go about writing songs. What is their structure? What is their process? And you're going to start learning things. And the more you learn, the deeper you can go in the future interviews. And the great thing about podcasts, I don't mean to butt in here, but the great thing about podcasts is the amount of trust that each listener has. So there's a crazy statistic. This is insane. This was taken in 2019. 63% of podcast listeners purchase something recommended by one of their hosts every three months. And just to name it from your podcast alone, not only have I downloaded Bounce Butler, FilePass, I did a CRM from a while back. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. I'm not using it anymore. I bought like, I think I paid like 250 bucks for better proposals. There's like another fifth thing that I bought because of something that you recommended. And that is huge power. Now, the thing about this, like if there's a bunch of online courses right now, let's say, for example, how to write a song, how to do better songwriting. The fact that it's coming from you, the person that they trust, the listener is much more likely to purchase it, even though there's a bunch of the same exact online courses. And so again, as producers and maybe you're doing remote mixing work or you're trying to move your business from in-person to online because of all this stuff going down right now, it is a very important time to build trust because there are so many mixing engineers in the world. There's so many mastering engineers in the world. If you're trying to do a service that's saturated right now, a great way to stand out is the podcast. Let's shift this back on topic here. If I am someone listening right now and I'm trying to take a shift in my business towards podcasts, this whole thing, as far as like editing and producing podcasts, this whole thing sounds interesting to me. My advice as someone who has been looking into this sort of business for a while now is I don't want to be the person who's just offering editing services. And that's where a lot of our audience just goes straight to that. They know how to edit. They know how to record. They know how to mix. They know how to make it sound good. And so they go straight to that sort of service. And what D has done here with his agency is they do everything and they do it at a high handholding level where they are really involved with every single client, but they're also getting paid to compensate for the amount of work for every single client that they're working with. And this is the difference between low cost, high volume, but very competitive work, which is the podcast editor versus what D is doing, which is high value as far as monetary, 
a lot of handholding, so a lot of time involved with it, but there's also not a lot of competition for what you're doing in the grand scheme of things. If I Google, actually, I don't know, I wouldn't know what to Google with you. Honestly, you're probably not finding most of your clients through Google, I would imagine. They're probably through referrals. Oh, no ads. Like the thing is, most of our, so we just barely passed 2 million. I think we're at 2.1 million downloads across all of our clients right now. The thing is, we've spent very minimal on ad spend and focused almost all of our energy on just what to name your title, like what to name your show. We use this as an example all the time. There's a podcast out there called Dinosaur Money. Brian, what do you think that that podcast is about? Uh, oil. Right? Or maybe another guest, Shot in the Dark. Dinosaur Money. I, I, it's some business podcast about something. I have no idea, to be honest. So the crazy thing is Dinosaur Money is actually about a father who takes his son to garage sales and looks at toys and potentially resells them or keeps them. And that is a, no offense to um, you know Dinosaur Money, horrible name because nobody's ever going to search that. Right. Yeah. The only thing I could think of fossil fuels. Yeah. That's dinosaur money. <laughs> there you go. Or like old money and how to like, you know, like what investing yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, but the thing is the reason why I named my show mixing music one, I'm talking about mixing music. What are people going to type in the search bar? Mixing music, right? Audio mixing, which by the way, audio is also in my title. Cause I have a double prong title, right? The secondary thing that I would look forward to is not just the title of the show, but the title of the episodes. Most of my time, like you can do two prongs. See that thing under the, if you have a Mac keyboard, under the delete button, there's that long bar. If you hold down the shift thing, you call it something clickbaity and then you second prong use keywords, SEO words, like audio production, helpful mindsets, right? Whatever it is, a bunch of SEO stuff, nerdy stuff that honestly I'm not a part of. I only know the basics of that's meant for the other guys, right? (laughs) That stuff alone will help you really build a podcast and build it from the beginning. So does that help your agency as far as like, is there any visibility for your agency name if they find the podcast on iTunes or whatever they're searching for? Does your agency's name show up anywhere? Yeah. So a part of our contract, actually, I don't know if it is part of our contract. Now I'm second guessing myself, but usually we have, because we host the podcast as well, like we're the ones that upload them. Because of that, we usually have under the author name, our name, Launchpod Media. So they won't ever see our name unless they dig into it, but it's okay because most of our clients come in, 90% of our clients are like referrals because we do such a good job with each of our clients. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I love the high dollar, high touch business model is that every single customer is worth so much. Let's just say for math example, just to keep this easy, say your customer is paying you $1,000 a month. Well, if they sign on for 12 months, then you're going to have a $12,000 value from that customer. And that's assuming they don't re-up for another year after that. Do you guys have, by the way, an onboarding fee of any sort? A lot of times when you launch a podcast or any sort of thing as an agency, there's a lot of work that goes in up front. And so what they'll do is they'll have an onboarding fee of some sort. Do you do that? So we actually should, we've talked about it multiple times. We have not implemented it as of yet, but as of right now, no, we don't. It's the same for 12 months. Granted the first two to three months, we're basically making no money. We're like breaking even. And then after that money starts to roll in through consistency. But like you said, it's really easy to guess budgets and everything just because 12 month contracts. Before we get into the podcast today, let me tell you a little something crazy about myself. I'm actually a psychic and I'm going to prove it to you. You and I, we've probably never met, but I bet I can describe your business better than you can. Here's what my crystal ball says. You probably have no idea how to get clients other than waiting around for referrals and word of mouth. You're stuck in a perpetual cycle of feast or famine. So you have wild income swings from month to month. 
you're charging way less than you should and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. You feel like you have a million things you could be doing in your business and you have no idea what you should be focusing on. And you have tons of little half-built bridges leading to nowhere because you've jumped from thing to thing to thing as a dabbler. Am I right? Does this sound eerily similar to you? That's because I've been in your shoes and I've worked with thousands of freelancers who've also been there. So I'm not a psychic. My crystal ball is not real. I just have a really clear understanding of what freelancers are facing today. And if I can predict your problems, you can bet I actually have a solution to these problems. It's called client acquisition. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but for some reason, freelancers still haven't really figured this out yet. This is why I created Clients by Design Coaching. It's a truly unique coaching program that helps you build your own client acquisition machine so you can break out of this feast or famine cycle that most freelancers never escape. So here's how our approach is unique. First, we do a deep dive on your business, we figure out what's missing, and we give you a complete marketing roadmap right from the start. So no more dabbling, no more guesswork, just a clear path to getting more clients. You always know what your next step is because we actually assign specific tasks to you. So instead of feeling overwhelmed, instead of feeling scattered, you can just focus on your next step. That's it. We give you unlimited feedback on everything you do so you can feel confident that every single step you're taking is the right one. And we hold you accountable, not by nagging you, but just by genuinely supporting and cheering you on every step of the way. If you're behind on any steps we've assigned to you, we'll proactively reach out and see how we can help. Clients by Design is not a course. We look at it like a partnership. We'll always show up. We'll always give you what you need, but you have to be willing to put in the work. This program is not for everyone, and that is okay. As of right now, I just checked the numbers. We've only approved about 25% of the applicants we've gotten so far, and that's because we are selective. We only accept your application if we believe we can truly help you. So if you're ready to end your feast or famine cycle and build a client acquisition machine, you can apply for Clients by Design by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. That's the number six figurecreative.com slash coach. Now here's our show. Yeah. So just kind of going back from the beginning of the story here, you got the first client through just a, a contact or referral that you had in your local area. So in Utah, where you're from, they were interested enough to pursuing it to give you a chance. You over-delivered by far. You put a ton of effort. You hustled your asses off. And you say you don't write the content, but you do help them kind of shape the content, the amount of time the episode should be, what topics might be more relevant to ranking for, especially early on. Yeah. And there's a lot of parts of it. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. There's actually a lot of parts of it that I don't do for my show. And it's kind of really hard to do. This is kind of where our value is like transcription. So like getting transcripts of your entire episode, putting them on the back end, doing really good show notes and not only just show notes, but adding actually like timestamps as well as like a quote. There's actual things that Google will eat up to make their job easier so they can actually categorize your podcast to the top of their page which is really nice. So we do all that stuff too. But for him specifically, we definitely, definitely, definitely take care of the back end. And he was actually planning on just sinking money. Like he wasn't actually planning on making any money from it. And then one day, like it was about six months in, something like that. He calls us and he's like, yo, I'm actually making a profit off of your show. Did you know that? And I were like, what? Because we don't, part of our business, the one thing that we don't do is we set them up, but we don't make a sales funnel for them. We don't convert their audience. We just put them in front of an audience. Of course, we tell them how, we give them tips and stuff. In the first six months, he had been making so much money that the first six months all of a sudden was totally profitable, even though he went in trying not to make it profitable. He went to New York, shouted it out on his podcast peeps and had a sponsor, sponsor a dinner for all a lot of podcasts like listeners in New York, which by the way, his podcast doesn't have a crazy ton of listeners which is insane, right? And then as of right now, about nine, 10 months in, the dude, I don't know how much specific that we can say, but he's made over 40 clients that are directly trackable from the podcast. 
which is conservative because there's probably a lot of people. And again, there's so many more you can't like attribution, which or or a nerdy way of saying like tracking where a customer came from is notoriously difficult. <laughs> so that's probably well under like 23% higher than that actual number is the real number. Yeah. So he's got 40 trackable new clients for using his software, which it, for him is conservatively trackable over $22,000 a month from doing a free podcast that honestly has less listeners than your podcast right now. Yeah. Again, it's not necessarily, and this is why when we talked about this, I can't remember what episode, we recently talked about launching podcast agency uh, as a business model. This was one of the more recent episodes and I'm blanking on where it ag- exactly it was. I'm looking through our episode list right now and see if I can find it. The bottom line is I pushed hard on the fact that it, your customer should be someone who's able to pay, able and willing to pay. And business owners are able to will and willing to pay if you can prove an ROI or return on investment on their time, effort, and money they're putting into this. If they're going to sink, let's just say an hour a week into recording stuff, if they're going to sink $1,000, $2,000 a month into paying somebody to run the podcast and handle everything else for them, they better see an ROI on that. But when you have a client, so Launchpad Media has this client in the Amazon selling space. If their client's customers are worth that much, it's not that hard to get an ROI. If I'm doing my math right, then an average customer is paying them $500 a month for that Amazon software stuff or whatever it is that they're selling. Then all they would need is get five or six clients in order to break even on that. If they are getting 10 clients, they're doing pretty well. If they get 50, they're crushing it right now. And that's just in the first year. So that's the sort of thing that if you can prove that much value as a, uh, an agency owner or at least a podcast solo editing I call it full service agency model, not just editing, but full service agency model where all they do is show up and record and you handle literally everything else. If you can show that sort of ROI to your customers and clients, then it's a no brainer for them to sign on and keep signing on year after year after year. And it's great because if you're already doing audio, to be honest, for like the normal businessman, microphones, cables, how to record and recording software is just like way over their head. And for them, the ROI to learn that is not worth it. So it's like they'd rather pay someone. So it's like a really good leeway into, especially if you had more knowledge on it, leeway into a more higher touch, like in-depth business there. Yeah. It's a win all around because there is a technical barrier that a lot of people can't necessarily get past. But if they could, they could have a highly profitable podcast with just a few listeners. Like you can have hundreds of listeners as a business owner and still make a large profit. And that's probably my guess is around that amount of listeners for this specific client of yours, their podcast, and maybe a thousand at most. People hear those numbers and they're like, oh, that's that's nothing. Well, you got to understand, like as far as like monetization goes or like how much a one like podcast listener is worth. Okay. We're not counting any listeners. We're not, you're not a statistic in our lives or whatever. We're going to get over that. But the point is, statistically speaking, one podcast listener is worth about like 10 to 15 YouTube subscribers. Oh, easily, man. Like my mailing list, I know all the stats and numbers. I try not to get too deep into that stuff because that's the distraction on what you should actually be doing as a business owner, as far as serving your customers. But I know my numbers. I'm a business owner. I know my numbers and I can tell you unequivocally, if that's a word, unequivocally, I like to make up words here. I can tell you without a doubt that <laughs> an email subscriber is doesn't even push the needle compared to a podcast listener. Oh yeah, not even close. So actually I use the email list to push people into the podcast because podcast listeners are so much more active as far as like the amount of conversations they do in our community. They add more value. They're just a better person for our community. And so that's where I try to put all my effort. And so if you can take these sort of knowledge bombs and drop them on business owners and explain them, actually tell me, explain this to me. 
you have a pitch deck that you use to basically pitch your customers on starting a podcast because everything I just said, this has to be explained to your potential customers. They have to see the value in launching a podcast or any service. They have to see the value in that in order for them to hire you for that service. So as a musician, it's not really hard to show them the value of getting a recording mixed because it sounds better. And then if it sounds better, their fans will enjoy it more. And if their fans enjoy it more, they'll come out and see them in a live show and ultimately buy merchandise and they'll make money off of that listener. In the podcast world, it's not necessarily a super well-known medium. Actually, I guess it is now, but it's not something that people are highly considering as a viable form of advertisement for their businesses. And DK, you guys do a lot to convince people. You show them all the statistics behind podcasts. You have a whole pitch deck that's visual to look at. And you show this to your potential clients so that they understand how big of an opportunity they're missing out on if they do not hire you. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, so I preach about this a lot, especially in a music standpoint. This is very relevant. But what is the one reason why they're not willing to hand us over the money, even for music or for podcasts, right? It's because of trust. This is called an objection. So anytime someone's about to hand you money, there's objections that you have to get past in order for them to hand you their money. An objection might be, oh, the guy down the road's half the price. That's an objection. And you have to overcome that in some way, shape or form. Well, I do 10 times more work and will make you sound better. And I have better gear and I am a better person and you'll enjoy the experience more and X, Y, and Z. Here's all the reasons. Now you've gotten over that objection. And then there's probably 10 more you need to get past. If you miss even one of those objections, you do not get the customer or the sale. Yeah, absolutely. So the one big thing for both music and podcasts that you must get over is trust. To be honest, like Brian, you're a mixer as well. Like, don't get me wrong. We have our individual sounds, but the biggest reason why people hire us is honestly the trust factor. Do you trust that I'm going to make it sound as best as I can, right? Mixes are so diverse and it can go in so many infinite directions that like, no matter how good you are, if they have a friend that does it relatively close, but they just trust them, they're going to win. If you're a recording studio, one of the hardest ways to earn trust is through communication in the sense that if you have a contact us to figure out our hourly rates for the studio, that means they know from a fact that they have to do three to four different emails, right? Just to clarify, he's talking about when someone goes to your website, they go to 456recordings.com, they fill out a form to get a rate from me. They know that there's going to be an exchange of emails before we really have any real communication about a project. Yeah. And this isn't really as viable in the mixing world. But if you're a recording studio, if you have something like Calendly where they can book it and pay for it and they know the expectations, you can have a questionnaire that they can fill out right there, that builds so much trust. That means they've already paid for it, they can do it, and they can do it all at once, right? So same thing with podcasts. Like, And you've talked about this in an earlier, way early episode is talking about the importance of a portfolio. So as with our first thing, with our first client, we had no portfolio. That was the hardest barrier to get over. And now we definitely have a portfolio. And we definitely have pitch decks. So going back into the pitch decks, the entire purpose is to build trust, to break down barriers of trust, because the more that they trust us, the more that they're willing to pay for our service, right? So we not only have a pitch deck that we have just for general. We do a lot of, in the podcasting world, we're asked to speak at a lot of podcast conventions uh, around North America. And so we have not a pitch deck, but a little showcase of different ways that you could do it. We have a general pitch deck, long form and short form. But the biggest one of all is we make a little tiny pitch deck for each individual client by doing some preliminary research before we even step into their office. So this is, for example, right now, we're pitching to a company, I don't want to say because we haven't locked it down yet, that is well known in the outdoor wares 
outdoor clothing and backpacks area, right? We went into their office saying, this is how much you're potentially going to make. This is how many clients that you have. This is your lack of competitors. And this is how much we estimate that you're going to do based on the portfolio that we could show you right here. And based on the statistics and the proprietary research that we have done before coming into your office. So that way they're like, oh shoot, not only does this guy have a portfolio, but he's showing us analytically through statistics, this could make us money. Oh shoot, like this guy's willing to trust us. Now your cost, I'm willing to pay more. Yep. And so this is huge when it comes to getting like, when we're talking handholding, high end, high dollar, high touch clients, this is what you have to do in order to do that. No, so let's just say D didn't do any of this stuff. D just went in there and said, hey, podcasts are huge right now. I'm going to show you pitch deck on the opportunities in podcasting industry as a general. And then I want you to pay me thousands of dollars per month. If D did that, he would still get clients and he wouldn't get as many clients. And the ones he got, he wouldn't be getting paid as much. But if you can go to a specific customer or potential client and say, hey, this is the opportunity I see for you specifically. These are the things that I see on an analytical level because business owners are very analytical. They want to see numbers. They want to see proof. They want to see the opportunity. And this is what I see in your industry for you specifically. There's nothing general about this. Now that you see the specific opportunity involved here, you know what amount of money is at stake. Now that you see what I'm going to charge you, it is much less of a sticker shock. As a matter of fact, it sounds like a downright bargain because I see an opportunity of, just for one example that you said earlier, getting forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a month in my software business. I see that and I see that I'm going to be paying you, let's just say two or $3,000 a month. Now it's not so big of a deal to me. I know that in six to eight to 12 months, I could have a 20X return on my investment. It's a no brainer. But if you just come and say, hey, podcasting is up 20% over last year. Now the average listener listens one hour per month. The average listener is worth <laughs> 10 times the value of a email subscriber. Yo, those numbers do not matter at all. <laughs> and now you're saying, okay, now that you know these general statistics, now pay me $3,000 a month to do your <laughs> podcast. They're going to laugh you out of there. Uh, it's not a very I'm strong I'm already pitch. laughing. I'm <laughs> yeah. At the same time, when you supplement those general statistics for the overall podcast industry, and you supplement it with statistics and, and general facts about what you see for their specific business, that is money. Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing is this concept that you've talked about many times that I just love. I can't get over it to all your people listening right now. Like, I've made money because of your show. Everybody should be listening <laughs> to your show. I love music to my ears, man. <laughs> like, literally, I, can, I recommend your show to everybody because not only, sure, yeah, you get some clients and you make some money, but the fact of the matter is you help people make money. There's so much value. And technically, it's free, right? But sorry, the, off track. Uh, but uh, one of my favorite things about this is that during our pitch, it's never about we're going to kill it for you. We're going to do a job. We show them that we will by making them the hero, right? Oh, this is story brand. Exactly. Well, you're going to make this much money. This is a space that you have an opportune moment in time and a space within the digital world you can take over. You're going to kill it. Let us help you kill it. You're positioning yourself as the guide in their journey as a business owner. And you're saying, hey, you've never gone down this path in your business, this podcasting path. You may listen to podcasts. You may be a fan of podcasts, or you may have just on the side heard about podcasts but your business is in a opportune moment to crush it in podcasts. Here is what you as the hero could do in this new world if you would just take this path less traveled and our company can help guide you down this path 
and do everything possible. We're deporters when it comes to climbing Mount Everest. We're going to carry all your gear. We're going to carry your oxygen. We're going to guide you up this mountain that's really hard to do, but because you're the hero and we're the guides, you're going to make it to the top. That's generally the pitch. And clearly you're not using that exact metaphor because that's a terrible metaphor, (laughs) but you get what I'm saying. But for real though, like people love that. People eat that up. And then we have a portfolio that just backs up like, yeah, we've done it before. Yeah, sure. Yeah, trust us. (laughs) Every single customer is just another case study for you to use for future customers, which just strengthens your position as a podcast agency. And in a relatively small amount of time, you guys have built out some really good case studies and customers. Like that's an impressive amount of work to do in a year now. Oh, yeah. And it's been really blessing. Again, I attribute it to the two other owners, Johnny and John. Yeah, they're both named John. (laughs) Uh, Like the thing that you're talking about, like for me, I was just a lonely little mix engineer, you know, not even a producer, just engineer. And I couldn't have done this without them. They couldn't have done it without me. And it's kind of like this perfect ecosystem where we're mutually helping each other. One of the Johns is the get it done person. The other one is the visionary. I'm the creative, right? So it's like this perfect collection. So if you want to do something like you're doing now, but you don't have the skills or the know-how to offer it, then it might be a good up to link up and start a business sharing equity with someone else that does. Yep. So that's what I did with FilePass. I don't have any technical ability. I don't have any desire to find some random development agency or developer overseas or have the funds to afford an American developer. I couldn't afford my co-founder if I were paying him straight up for his development time. So we formed a partnership and we started FilePass.com. And this is a great way to start a business, but there are a lot of pitfalls potentially in there with partnerships because some people call them sexless marriages. You are, in the, for the long haul, involved in a relationship where a lot of money is exchanged and you are legally bound to these people and you don't have sex relations to fall back on when times get <laughs> <are> tough. <laughs> so I've heard of co-founders actually going to marital counseling because that helps the relationship so much. So there, it's not like you can just go, hey, everybody on Six Figure Home Studio Facebook community, who wants to start a business with me? That's a nightmare. Oh, yeah. It's got to be someone that you can trust. And more importantly, like this is the biggest advice. If you're going to start a business with someone else, the biggest thing that you do before you make any money, hire a lawyer and get that owner's contract, like how equity works, how you're going to fire people, how it's going to get going, how are you going to gain or lose equity? All of that stuff, worst case scenarios, get it all figured out before you make any money. And then it'll be a lot easier. Yeah. So that's called, I don't know how it is out there, but in in Tennessee, we call it an operating agreement. Yeah. Operating agreement. Yep. And so you can sit down with a lawyer, at least for us, it was like, I want to say two or $3,000 to come up with it. So it's, it's not an insignificant amount of money. It's a chunk of change, but you don't want to do a lot of work and build a business and then have a lot of money involved and then do that because now there's all these disputes come up. Who owns what? Who did what work? Who deserves what? And it's, it's just... It's kind of scary to wait that long and then do these sorts of things. But let's move past this technical stuff. Hiring. Ah. Let's just say I'm the rare unicorn that possesses the get shit done, the visionary, and the creative. All in one unique, beautiful package. I start my podcast agency by myself. Things are going well for the first couple clients. I get some traction. The podcasts do well. And now I'm like, shit, I just listened to episode 122 why it's time to finally hire someone, <laughs> which you heard that episode. You actually hired someone, didn't you? I actually just hired an assistant. I actually called them the night that I listened to that episode. I'm like, you're officially hired. Dude. Let's talk tomorrow. <laughs> Can we stop real quick and just say the reason D is successful is because he actually takes action on what we talk about on the podcast. That was two episodes ago and he's already got an assistant. That's amazing. You say buffet. I eat all that shit. I eat it all up. 
<laughs> there you go. So, okay. So I'm the perfect storm as far as a business founder. I don't need no damn co-founders. Or let's just say I found co-founders and now it's time to hire. Let's talk about the hiring process. Can you talk about some of your, what were your first hires and how you went about doing that? Oh, dude. Okay. Well, luckily we are near a college town. And uh, so we're right near uh, in BYU. We're right near Brigham Young University, which is the Mormon University, which you might think is kind of funny and weird, but at the same time, it's the perfect place. Mormons don't do drugs. They don't really party as much. They work really well. So it's like the perfect community where we can get some really cheap interns to kind of get started off for some low-level work. I mean, same with any college town, right? But more importantly, we have this perfect system that goes together perfectly with our personalities. I am a, such a people person. I 100% agree with that. I mean, we, we got to hang out with you at, uh, at NAM this year. And it's just so fun because you're such like, a, I mean, people can tell. It's like, you're just a, you have people skills oozing out of your ass. That's how good of a people person you are. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But at the same time, where I laughed in- Weirdest where, description ever. <laughs> <laughs> oozing, say that again, oozing out of my ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, the great thing about this is that where I lack in the get shit done is where the other owners take place, right? So we have a system right now where it's unintentional, to be honest. I just know people or have connections to people or like get like a, an influential local Instagrammer that has a really large local demographic of followers to pay 25 bucks to advertise that we're offering. Here's, here's how much we're paying. Here's the job description. You know, DM me if you'd like. That's how we did it the first few times. I did a little bit of the interview first and then it got passed on to the guy that actually makes the decisions. And the cool thing is almost all of our initial hires have actually stayed to this day and have actually proven to be more valuable than we initially wanted them to be. You hired them at a low level position and they kind of worked their way up to higher positions. So what were the specific positions you were hiring for at the beginning? And then what did that transition to for those people? So the very, very first positions we were looking to hire for, I believe it was, hmm, I believe it was an outreach specialist, which looks great on a resume for college students. It's basically marketing. It's basically posting on Reddit about podcasts and doing a lot of like social media native outreach to talk about the show, but also finding guests, white gloving guests onto the show based on if they shared it, would it increase the viewership of the show? Is that basically a guest pipeline where your job is to research people that would be good guests for the podcasts and then reach out to them, follow up with them, get them scheduled, get a pre-interview done? Like, are, are they doing all of that sort of stuff? Yep. And that's only just one part of the job. The other part is a big one, which is talking, trying to naturally find potential listeners, conversions, right? Without ads, just doing it naturally through Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, right? Lurking, we call it, of course, yeah. Yeah, so they're part of message boards that contain the listeners for those podcasts. And when opportunities present themselves, they're putting a link to that podcast or mention that podcast name in conversations. Kind of like a little spy that's spying on communities and saying, hey, I'm gonna insert this link here or name this podcast here. I'm just going to leave this right here. And then that's going to get us 10, 15 listeners here, 20 listeners there, five here, a hundred there. And then it adds up over time. Yeah, absolutely. And each of those listeners are worth like so much, like because they chose to be there. It was already solving one of their problems. It's kind of like the great thing with running ads on a podcast is you're already giving away a free resource. Like they don't even realize, like if you were in a, like a Reddit community and they're like, I'm looking for a podcast where you can like learn about business. Then if you type in six figure home studio, that's going to be way better conversions for a specific thing than like an ad where like, oh, this might be interesting. And then listen to a couple of episodes later. And then all of a sudden they're super into it or they might not be. 
Yep. That's one of the most valuable parts of our podcast is all the episodes are there. Every episode we do is another thing that people can listen to in order to get value to help their businesses and they can binge through it all. So people are listening right now to this episode. This is episode 124 of the podcast. People are probably listening to this a year after the coronavirus has ended, or they just binge through 123 episodes and they finally caught up and they're just now listening to this episode the week it came out. There's people all across the board. So I'm sitting here interviewing you and people are listening to our podcast right this second. Hundreds of people right this second are probably listening. And over the next week or so, we'll have thousands of people listen to this. That's the value of a podcast. And just to show people some math, and this is good if you're bring this sort of numbers to, don't bring these specific numbers, but it's good to have numbers like this to bring to potential customers if you're trying to get customers or clients for your podcast agency. What you told me a second ago, that Amazon selling person if they have just for good round numbers, this is just ballpark numbers, a thousand people that listen to the podcast regularly. That's a thousand podcast listeners in a year long period that's earning now up to about $20,000 a month. If you could extrapolate that out, I think it was actually higher than that, but just say $20,000 a month from software subscriptions. You put that times 12, that's $240,000 for a thousand listeners. That's $240 per listener. <laughs> To hire some intern to just lurk message boards and post about the podcast when it's relevant, to get one person on the podcast worth 240 bucks, that's worth it. That is definitely worth it. So I understand that. So let's talk about those interns again. We're going back to the hiring process. You said they added more value than expected and they worked themselves up the business. What are they doing now? How did that role transition into something else? After a few months, that person actually is now the head of marketing. <laughs> and we have two other outreach specialists. After that guy, before he got promoted though, then we hired audio editors. For that time, I was editing all the audio. Yep, it's time consuming. Yeah, I was editing all the audio at that time. And all of a sudden, my time was no longer well spent on just doing audio editing. Yeah, do you know the metrics behind how long it takes to edit an episode to your standards? Yeah. So for our standards, because we try to be a premium company, we've also made a lot of mistakes. And also to be fair, because we have businesses that are paying us a higher price point and that have a lot more on the line than like a local podcast coach, for example, mm -hmm. we can actually genuinely ruin the reputation of a multi-million dollar company, like very easily. So because of that and the mistakes that we've made, we make sure to go through pretty well. My expectation is if it's an hour long episode, it should not take you more than two to two and a half hours to edit it, Okay, like double the time. But at the same time, I expect them, every single one of our editors to listen to the show from beginning to end all the way as they're editing it. So they can't just skip over to the claps. Let's talk about this real quick. Claps. You mentioned claps. Do you have your customers clap when they screw things up? Yeah, we ask them to, but we still have our audio editors listen all the way through. Do you pay, and this goes back to our episode that we talked about hiring. Do you pay the editors per hour or per episode edited? So we pay them per hour. Okay. We did struggle a lot with how much we were going to pay them and how we were going to pay them. Eventually it was going to be permitted of edited episode, but honestly, it just got to the point where the best thing to do, the easiest thing to do, and it may not be the most cost effective or the best for motivation, but the thing that made sense for them and that made sense for us was to go hourly. And I can see the reason for that. If you're trying to do high-end services and you charge per episode, people are going to try to cut corners. So they're spending less time on each episode. If you're paying per hour, the struggle is, and we talked about it on episode 122, the struggle is they milk that shit and they'll sit there for five hours and edit the same episode and then they are collecting five hours worth of work. So there's no motivation to finish faster. So there's 
definitely a balance there that has to be done. And I'm sure that there is no perfect solution to that. Yeah, there's not. And that's why we have KPIs as well. So like, this is your minimum performance goals. Like if you do not this, these key performance indicators, like if you do not hit this many episodes or do this much, then like we need to have a sit down talk about your job. So are they editing in the studio or on location somewhere or do they do it remotely? So at first they were coming into the studio and then we found out that the computers and the software kept failing. It's like, okay, we'll just have you do it from home, which actually has ended up being better. And right now, because of the coronavirus, all of our employees work from home, which because of our business model, luckily it works out. Yeah. And I think anyone listening right now, the main concern is likely, A, they probably see the opportunity in this sort of business model as a whole from a pure monetary standpoint. And depending on how your brain works, you may be fulfilled by this kind of work and maybe it's just a pure money play. Everyone's different. I personally love like any sort of business challenge. So I would still probably be fulfilled from this kind of work, but there's not a lot of creativity involved, at least not on the editing side, which is why you personally don't do the editing anymore. And for me, like I'm such like a go-getter where like the worst, hardest jobs that I've ever had in my entire life is being like a freaking customer service. No, it was rentals person at Guitar Center. I was in charge of rentals at a local guitar center. You know what I was getting paid to do? I was getting paid like nine, 10 bucks an hour to not do anything, to wait for customers to come to me if they came once every two days. Like it sucked. Like waiting, like not doing shit is the hardest thing for me. So like listening to podcasts and especially because I have extreme, like super bad ADHD in one sentence, I'll like just like zone out. <laughs> so it's really hard. That's why I don't edit our episodes either. And when I do listen back to edits, I listen to every episode for just finalizing things and make sure there's not major sections I want to cut out or things rearranged. I listen to my episodes because I'm a narcissist. No, I'm just no. I'm when just I listen back though, no, I, I, I understand. <laughs> I listen back at like three times speed because I have such ADD that if I'm not listening to any audio fast, especially myself, then it's got to be the fastest thing possible. So again, our listeners are listening because of the coronavirus or because of this business model. Either way, the fact that it's done remotely is a huge appeal right now because if you are a recording studio, especially large facilities, and you were relying on people to come into your studio, well, that might not even be legal in certain countries right now because of the quarantine involved and not allowing a certain amount of any groups of, there's some areas that are 10 or more, for some it's 100 or more, for some it's, you can't even leave your house unless it's for, groceries or for medical reasons or for approved work-related things. So I don't think a studio would necessarily be an approved work-related thing. And also the fact that the music industry is so devastated right now that if you start a podcast agency, you may not want to have music industry-related customers. Some businesses, a lot of the businesses that you work for are not necessarily directly affected by the coronavirus right now or by the probable recession to follow this. So you're in a good position to have diversification. You have many clients all who are relatively well shielded. I don't know about the Amazon seller. I don't know enough about that world, but that would be one that I would be concerned about. But with the exception of that, most of these are well shielded from the coronavirus and recession. And so that means your business is pretty well shielded as well. Our listeners are looking for options right now. And so, you know, this is hopefully encouraging for people and some ideas for people of things they can pursue. Man, it's, a, it's kind of a scary time out there right now, man. It is, it is. But I think it's also the opportune moment. It depends on how you look at it as well. For a lot of stuff, like for recording studios where artists have to come in, it really does hurt. But I see like, I mean, I think you see this too as like as a businessman, like, and I think listeners will see this as well. When, when there's a local venue that says, you know, unfortunately, we're not able to do this. What I would do, one of my favorite quotes that we use here in the office all the time, if you got to eat shit, don't nibble, right? From Ben Horowitz, <laughs> hard thing about hard things. So, <laughs> so if 
like this idea, it's like if I was a local venue that was struggling because nobody's allowed to come to there anymore, I would go out of my way to figure out as fast as I can how to start streaming on Twitch and getting campaigns of people of local artists and all the fans that love your venue to start donating on Twitch and just like going all out and maybe doing like somehow figuring that out, right? If you figure that out, that now you're scalable by location, you're scalable by time because you can record it before, you can have them do it at their own place. You don't even have to be there when they record the little live thing. There's so much opportunity. One of the things that we're doing now because of this opportune moment is we're starting a number of YouTube channels. Like before, our model wasn't based off of our own content. We are not like a Gimlet or an iHeartRadio. We don't make our content and we don't own our customers' content. But the fact of the matter is because the entertainment is going up so much right now because people are home, and education is growing. We want to, we started our own podcasts, different podcasts, entertainment podcasts, and YouTube channels that are strictly meant for like monetizing them because we own them. And all we want to do is see them grow. There's no better time to do it than now. And that's why we're pushing so hard with that. Well, I love the quote you just gave, but there's another quote that I've heard a lot recently in, in these times, especially with the stock market doing what it's doing. And that's a quote from Warren Buffett. And I'm going to butcher this, but the spirit will be there. And that is be fearful when others are being greedy and be greedy when others are being fearful. And that's just saying when the stock market's booming and everyone's saying, this is the perfect time to invest and everyone's giving their stock tips on all the things that are going to be hot, that's the time to be fearful and be wary of listening to everyone. And when everyone's saying, it's the end of the world, the stock market's going to hit zero, everyone's going to go out of business, that's the time to be investing because everyone else is fearful. And there are obvious times when that doesn't fully make sense, but I think the spirit of it is this. In recessions, and in times like this where everyone's fearful and just trying to scrape by and pulling their money out and not investing in growth and not investing in expansion and just retracting constantly, this is the time as a business owner to start expanding and thinking about how to set yourself up so that when we are on the other side of this, we will come out on top. And that's one of the reasons I'm buying Berkshire Hathaway stock right now, by the way. I don't, I'm not huge in the stock market. We're buying Delta and Emirates. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know about Emirates, but I know about Delta. And this is not stock tips, by the way. We are not securities experts. No, I don't know no. what the legalities of this shit are. These are- We're no, stupid. Not, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> but because I know that Berkshire will come out on the other side of this with their giant $128 billion pile of cash, better off than when they came into this, they will be snatching up companies left and right here soon. I have faith in that. And I feel like we can take a little bit of Warren Buffett's methodology here, which is when others are being fearful, we're doing things to set ourselves up to be prepared for the inevitable upside when it starts to come. Because when things start to clear up from this, which they inevitably will, this is not as bad as the 1918, I think it was, uh, Spanish flu crisis where millions of people died, I believe. I don't know all the numbers of that, but I've just heard a lot of comparison to that. It's not as bad as that. The stock market still made it through that and it was not even as matured then as it is now. Businesses will recover. People will go out of business, that's for sure. But if you work hard to be... I don't want to use the word greedy, even though that quote is the word greedy. If you will work hard now to be thoughtful and intentional about setting yourself up, spotting opportunities, and not just trying to hide and cry, if you will use this time diligently, you can set yourself up to do really well, and you can even get through this time and thrive, if not at least maintain where you're at, if you're smart about this. And that's not going to work for everyone. Everyone listening is different, has different skill sets, but I still think that what we talked about today is going to be relevant to people that can take that and roll with it. I know DK, if you were listening to this episode and it wasn't you sitting here, you would probably take a million things away from this episode and go apply it to your businesses right now because that's the type of person you are. And I encourage everyone else listening to be that way. D, any last thoughts before we wrap this thing up, man? I have one thing and I'm going to 
also misquote this horribly, but Do it. C.S. Lewis has a sermon that you can find online, something wartime, where the idea of this sermon is that there's never an opportune moment to do anything. And most people listen to this and know this. It's always wartime. It's always, you got to always swim upstream. When you started your studio, because you listened to this podcast, was there ever an opportune moment? Probably not. Like if you were going to have a baby, is there ever an opportune moment to have a baby? No, never. Was there ever an opportune moment for you to get married, right? There's never an opportune moment for anything. So that's the thing. It's always wartime. So it's best to be optimistic and best to look out for the opportunities there. That's all I got to say. Yeah. For our work week said it well too. Uh, Tim Ferriss talking about how there will never be all green lights on your journey to something. There will be red lights stopping you along the way. Always. You'll never have full green lights. So don't look for what you can't do because of all these reasons. Start look at the opportunities right now that you can take advantage of because I mean, people are doing two things right now. There's two approaches. One is they're contracting and hiding. And one is they're expanding and looking for the opportunities that others are overlooking right now. And I feel like our audience is going to take that second one because they are smart and capable and willing to put in the work. I just want to say one last thing. I cannot be more grateful for your show. As a six-figure home studio podcast listener, as a six-figure sexy or homie or whatever we've decided <laughs> upon, I yeah. know that like really though, we don't even feel bad. Like I don't even feel bad that you're making money because you've made me so much money. Like you have made me a better businessman and your podcast has given me so much true value without holding anything back that like I want you to succeed. And this show has been so good. And everybody listening, like, I know they always say, Chris and Brian always say, like, this is a buffet of information, but I would take their stuff more seriously. And a lot of you probably already have, because this is real, real good premium shit. Thank you, man. So where can people find out more about what you've got going on if they want to research further into to your stuff? If they want to just reach out, you can always find my Instagram, D-E-E-K-E-I mixes at D-K mixes. That'll be in our show notes at the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 124. That's slash 124. His Instagram handle will be there. We'll also have links to LaunchPod Media. And if you're on your podcast app, go search Mixing Music Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian. Appreciate you. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. There you have it, an option for you if you are currently scrambling and you're not sure what to do with your studio. The full service podcast agency is a very viable option for some people. I know I talked to one of my students yesterday in a profitable producer course group coaching call, and he said he has a commercial recording studio where bands are coming in to actually record physically at the studio, and he had all of his upcoming sessions over the next two months cancel on him. That is a terrifying place to be, and I'm sure he's not the only one that's like that right now. So my goal coming up here is to try to do a series of interviews on virus-proof business models uh, that we can either pivot to or add on to whatever we're doing now in order to supplement this through these tough times. And one more thing I want to talk about, and that is this quote that I found in an email this morning and that I posted in the Six Figure Home Studio community, and it's something like this. There is a big difference between profiting from a crisis and profiting during a crisis. Do not be ashamed to sell. And this goes perfectly along with the philosophy that Chris and I have been preaching since episode one of this podcast. And that is the backbone of business is adding value. You will not get paid unless you're adding value to someone's life or some business's life. And as bad as the entire world is hurting right now, both from a health standpoint and a financial standpoint as a result of that, we need all of the value that we can get. 
And so if you have opportunities where you can volunteer for something, volunteer for something. If you have opportunities where you can expand your business into an area where you're adding value to other businesses or other individuals, or you're able to help an industry that is failing right now, then do it. But whatever you do, do not just sit around and read the news all day or watch the news all day or listen to the news all day and stress about what's going to happen and complain about all the stuff that's going on right now because that doesn't help anybody. That is not valuable to anybody. That's not adding value to the world. If anything, you not utilizing your talents right now is removing value from the world. So do not put your talents to waste in moments like this. Next week's episode, I have an interview planned. We have not done it yet. I don't know if the schedule is going to work out or not, but this is somebody who has an online recording studio with over 30 audio engineers working for him. One of the most unique business models I've ever seen. It's almost exactly like DK's podcast agency, except instead of editing podcasts, they're doing remote work, like recording, mixing, mastering, editing. And I believe it's the same situation where he's the agency owner. He's not actually doing the work himself. He's just overseeing everything, doing all the marketing, all the hiring. And if you want to talk about a a viral resistant business model, at least an online recording studio sounds pretty damn good to me. So I'm going to try to get him on the podcast. If that falls through and we have a completely different interview, my bad, but I've been talking to this guy and all I've got to do is finalize the, the, the schedule on that. So that's the goal for next week's episode. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and happy hustling. Hello and welcome to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Today with go. me is my lovely purple shirted host, <laughs> Brian Hood. No, it's great. Gray it's shirted. Great, All those are lies. <laughs> Dude, is that a good sound check for you? <laughs>